Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Today I'm going to wrap up um, what has been, I guess by the time this is done, five episodes on the topic of uh, who can fall away at the end of the age. I hope that you've listened to the previous four. Uh, I appreciate the feedback we've been getting over the last several weeks, most of it um, entirely supportive, uh, several have uh, emailed in and said, hey man, I used to think one way about this, but you're really challenging me with Bible and uh, my, my views are shifting. And that man, that just makes my day because uh, my whole goal in my ministry is to uh, harness the word of God and teach the word of God and live the word of God and to do it in a way that is um, not academic only or um, some kind of religious suffocating tedium. Um, but I believe that when we believe the word of God and love the word of God and live the word of God, we're actually the most liberated people in the world. And so, um, I love having the Bible, uh, kind of iron things out, make things plain for me. I'm not the smartest, um, you know, person. And what do they say? I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the swiftest gazelle in the flock. I, I need help, man. And so, uh, I turn to the Bible. I don't have any original ideas and, I just want my whole life, theology, Christianity, um, all that I believe, all that I do, I want it to fall within the parameters of God's holy eternal word because Jesus said that even heaven and earth are going to pass away, but God's word will abide forever. That's astounding that the whole created natural order, everything that can be seen, measured, touched, or experienced, all of it is going to come to a conclusive end at some point in the future. But outlasting all of the created order is the word of God. So when I got saved back in 1994, I just threw down my anchor in that reality, that truth. I said, oh, I finally found what I'm looking for, something that is true. And Jesus and the other writers in scripture said that the word of God will prove to be true. And so when we've been studying for several weeks this issue, of who can fall away at the end of the age. We've touched on the great apostasy at the end of the age. We've spent in the last couple of episodes moments where I've just talked about the idea, the erroneous idea that a truly converted person can lose their salvation. Um, And I've also mentioned, by the way, just in case you guys haven't listened to that, the equally erroneous idea that a person that's truly born again can live in sin and still have hopes of going to heaven. Um, no, the answer is, is that this, the, the faith that saves behaves, <laughs> um, that part of being saved means you're going to have the component of salvation that produces righteousness, holiness, and endurance. And I've gone out of my way in the previous episodes to load you down with Bible verses that teach that I've done a lot of that in preparation for what I want to share today from the book of Hebrews in chapter number six. Because invariably, when people want to substantiate that a truly born-again Christian can lose their salvation, the go-to passage is Hebrews 6, particularly verses 4 through 6. And so no study on this topic can be complete without um, a thorough explanation of Hebrews 6. I don't know I don't know if I'll get all this done. I'm hoping to get all this done in one episode, t- so today's episode might be a little longer than normal. But um, I do want to go through Hebrews chapter 6, but not just verses 4 through 6. 
but verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And I'm going to read those to you. So if, you, if you're stationary and you've got a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews 6, 1 through 9. And let me just read the verses um, because the context of Hebrews 6 is the key to rightly interpreting Hebrews 6. If you just look at verses 4 through 6 on their own, you're going to conclude that you can lose your salvation. But if you look not only at the context of all the surrounding verses, but also the first five chapters of Hebrews, because Hebrews 6 is not a standalone chapter. It's connected to the five chapters that precede it. And so we have to rightly divide the word of truth if we're going to have true biblical conclusions about what the scripture is actually saying. So let me read to you Hebrews 6, uh, 1 through 9. <laughs> let me chug some of this delicious Dunkin' Donuts coffee that I stopped on the way in to get. <laughs> I told them to add a shot of espresso because I was teaching Hebrews 6 this morning. So um, I need uh, both the power of the Holy Spirit and a little caffeine won't hurt. So let me take a quick sip. Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That's key, that phrase, go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings or baptisms, uh, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible. Here we go. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them. It is impossible to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And then the writer of Hebrews gives an illustration. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Okay, guys, here we go. Hebrews 6, does it teach that a truly born-again Christian can lose their salvation? My answer, as you already know, especially if you who have listened to my rather thorough, um, I guess, defense of my position in the first four podcasts of this little mini-series, um, you know my answer is no, absolutely not. A truly converted, born again, redeemed, chosen, justified, accepted, completed, born again person cannot lose their salvation. And I don't have time to go over all the reasons that I gave in four episodes to believe that. So today I'm just focusing on this passage. First thing we've got to remember, context determines clarity. When studying the Bible, context, context, context determines clarity. What is being said in this passage of Scripture? You can't just lift verses 4, 5, and 6 and say, Aha, there's the proof. You have to look at the rest of chapter 6. And then you have to look at the entire book of Hebrews. And then especially the five chapters that precede Hebrews 6, because Hebrews 6 opens with the word, therefore. And so when you see that word, therefore, it is a reference to what has been written 
prior to that therefore. And so you have to focus on what has been said previously. And so let me let me just say this. We take Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 very seriously. But I refuse to take Hebrews 6 4 through 6 in isolation from the rest of scripture. So yes, I take this passage as seriously as I take all the other passages, but I don't take it in isolation from everything that I've shared with you in the first four podcasts of the series. And whereas I'm going to explain this passage, you would have to explain, forgive me if I sound like I'm debating, but I know that there's some people that hold to this passage of scripture and ignore the rest of what scripture says about the eternal security. And so, whereas I need to explain this, because clearly a surface reading of Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 makes it look like you can lose your salvation. So what am I doing? Well, I'm explaining it in light of what the rest of Scripture says. So the context is this very clearly. First of all, the writer of Hebrews, nobody knows who the human author is. Um, some people think it's the Apostle Paul. I particularly do not, but I have no idea who it is. So it's not even worth our time to try to figure that out. But the context is that the author is writing to Hebrew people, to Jewish people that are on, in some way, they're connected to the true church on one level or another, varying degrees of connection. They are connected to the true church. So you've got one group of people, as you read through the book of Hebrews, you're going to find that he's definitely writing to at least one group of people that is comprised of genuinely saved Hebrew Christians genuinely saved Jews who have said yes to Yeshua, Jesus Christ, as Messiah. So some of what is written in Hebrews is speaking directly to saved people. The second group is clearly those who are intellectually enlightened, but they have not yet fully surrendered to Christ in repentance and faith. And that's the group we're dealing with here. They, they have heard the gospel. They've seen miracles. They've been impacted by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. They're wanting all the benefits of salvation through Jesus Christ, but they have not yet been willing to abandon fully Judaism for Christ. And you'll see that. That's the first five chapters he's talking, and in chapter six, to those Christians. They have not yet fully surrendered to Christ through repentance and faith. They haven't abandoned uh, Judaism is a religion. They're trying to live in both worlds. Even though they've heard the gospel, seen the miracles, they've been impacted by the deep convicting work of the Holy Spirit, but they have not yet fully surrendered. They have not yet been fully saved. It's so important that we recognize that. And I'm going to make a case for um, clearly that, that this type of this type of person connected to the church is found in multiple places in Scripture. So they're around the things of God. They're around the movement of God. They're around the gospel. They're around all of the activity of the Holy Spirit. They've participated in some form and function of Christianity, but they're not yet saved. And then you've got the third group that are being written to, or, or Hebrews, they're connected to the church in some way, but they are flatly at that point rejecting Jesus as Messiah, yet they're still listening to the gospel. So they're, they're basically the keep trying to convince me crowd. And yet for some reason, they're still connected loosely to the church. And that's really important. You got to recognize the audience all throughout the book of Hebrews, different portions are addressing different people in this group of Jews. They're all Jews. And some of them are born again Jews. Some of them are people who are 
very close to surrendering to Jesus, but haven't yet. And then you've got some that have flatly rejected Jesus as the Messiah, but they're still listening to the gospel. Now, it's also important that we take into context the first five chapters of the book of Hebrews. And the reason why I say that is because chapter six, again, it opens with the word therefore. And so when, when we see that word therefore, it's pointing back to what has been previously written. So let me give you a summary of the first five chapters. The first five chapters of the book of Hebrews is the author speaking to Jewish people and he's saying, Jesus is better than Judaism. Jesus is better than what you've learned from the law. Jesus is better than, and he mentions these things, angels. Jesus is better than all the angels. Jesus is better than that Old Testament figure called Melchizedek, um, who was you know, representative of the great high priest. Jesus is the fulfillment. Melchizedek is the type. Um, and I don't have time to get into that, but you can go back and you can search scripture and check out the testimony of Melchizedek. By the way, it says Jesus is better than all the Jewish high priests. He's better than all of them. Jesus is better than the Sabbath. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says in the first five chapters, Jesus is better than the tabernacle and the temple. Now, all of these things, listen, um, they were types and shadows that were pointing to the greater reality of Jesus as Messiah. But these Hebrews that are mentioned in chapter six were not willing to release the symbols and embrace the substance who is Jesus Christ. So the writer is saying, hey guys, we have to move on from all of our Old Testament um, flags that we've planted and said, what about this? What about this? What about this? Because the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, Jesus fulfills all of those things. So you have to let go of the symbol. You have to let go of the foreshadowing. You have to let go of all of that and turn fully and surrender, repent, and embrace Jesus as the one to whom all of the law, all of the prophets, all of the historical books pointed. So he's calling them to move forward. That's why it says in verse number one of Hebrews six, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, instruction about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So that's the context. He's saying, hey, guys, it's time for all of you to move on. And so quit. Quit holding on to your Old Testament roots, our Old Testament, their Hebrew Bible, uh, about angels and Melchizedek and the high priest and the tabernacle and the Sabbath and the temple and all of these types and shadows that are pointing you toward Jesus. Go all the way. But some of these Hebrews were not willing to release all these symbols for the substance of Christ. And so chapter six calls these, even these three groups, everybody together, press on into the more. Press on into the better. Press on into the fullness of the Jewish faith, and the fullness is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So don't go back. He's, remember, he says, let's press forward. Don't go back to the symbols that point to Jesus. Press on fully into Jesus via repentance and surrender move forward all of you from the basic doctrines about salvation of christ doesn't mean you abandon them it just means hey you've got the foundational teaching 
you know enough to fully surrender. You've got to move on from these teachings about salvation in Christ and press forward into spiritual fullness via salvation in Christ. So important that we recognize the validity of what the writer is saying. That's the context. If you don't get the context right, you're going to take verses four through six and clearly you're going to conclude, oh, well, this must mean that, um, you know, these are all saved people who have been walking with Jesus and been, you know, fully redeemed. And all of a sudden, oh, no, they've done something. They're turning around. They're going back. And now they're going to lose that salvation they had. And that is not what the writer is teaching. Let me give you some some understanding about some particular words. Let's go, let's hit verses four through six. Let me, let me read those verses because these are the verses that clearly, if you, if you take them in isolation or you take them out of context, most of us would conclude that you could lose your salvation. That's why the context is important because verse four says, Hebrews six, four says, it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. That's an important word who have tasted the heavenly gift. That's an important phrase have shared in the Holy Spirit, that's an important phrase, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. So you you look at those, verse 4 and 5, it surely sounds like they're describing genuinely saved people. Not so fast. And then verse 6, it says, those people that have um, been enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible, the Bible says, to restore them again to, to repentance. Very quickly here, um, most of the people that tell you that a genuinely saved person can lose their salvation, they use this passage of scripture to do so. They ignore that one part that says, yeah, if you do lose it, it's impossible for you to ever repent again. So the idea that you could, I mean, based on the, the wrong teaching of Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, people say, oh yeah, man, it's right there. You can lose your salvation, but I'll tell you what, you just better repent, get right with God and start walking again. And, you know, just don't mess up again and everything's going to be okay. Well, you, you can't have it both ways. You cannot say that this passage teaches you can you lose your salvation and then tell people to repent and get right. The Bible says, if we interpret this to mean that you can lose your salvation, it says once you've lost it, you can never get it back, which is a terrible teaching both ways. Because it undermines the grace of God. I mean, it totally undermines the once and for all sacrifice that the book of Hebrews actually talks about, that Jesus once and for all paid for sins and sat down at the right hand of God, completing everything. And then to turn around and say, yeah, but I'm, I'm telling you, you got to walk the line. By the way, it doesn't tell you how tight to walk the line or what sin could cause you to forfeit your salvation or, you know, how many sins could cause you to forfeit your salvation. It just it, it instills an unhealthy fear and a performance mentality that you how, how do we know how much is ever enough? That's what that wrong teaching does. And then. A doubly wrong teaching says, but if you do lose your salvation, that's okay because I'm going to lead you to salvation again in Jesus. Well, friends, if we're going to be wrong, let's be equally wrong about this verse because you cannot take this verse and teach that you can lose your salvation and then get it back. If it teaches that you can lose your salvation, it also teaches you can never get it back. Thankfully, it teaches neither of those things. And so that's just a, a, a real quick debunking of some of that. So what about these phrases, man? I mean, it certainly sounds like it's describing genuinely saved people. Coffee moment. Hold on. Hebrews 6, 4 talks about those who have been enlightened. 
those who have been enlightened. Does that mean that these are saved people? That the light's gone off. They're saved. They're brand new. They're born again. Ha ha. The angels have descended. The Holy Spirit has given the light. They have said yes to Jesus. Does it mean that? Not necessarily. And in this context, it certainly doesn't mean that. Uh, to, the word translated enlightened is a Greek word for tidzo. And it literally means to shine upon, to illuminate, to provide light to, or to make something known. It's, it's used in John's gospel. Same word is used in John's gospel. Remember John 1, 9. The true light, speaking of Jesus, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so when it speaks about Jesus in John 1, 9, it's using that Greek word fotidzo, which gives light to everyone. So notice this, that this word in, in translated enlightened in Hebrews 6, 4, it can't mean everyone who is enlightened is necessarily saved. Because in John 1, 9, that same word is used, and, and clearly it says that the light is given to everyone. Jesus is presented to everyone. But then if you look down in John, the next verse, in verses 10, 11, and 12, it's very clear that not everybody who saw the light received the light. And, and so it says where Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. So the light shined upon the people in Hebrews 6, 4. That's all that that means. It says nothing as to whether or not uh, this particular group of people received the light. It just means they saw the light. Just like in John 1, 9, 10, 11, and 12, that people saw the light of Jesus, but clearly it says he came unto his own and his own received him not. So just seeing the truth, just seeing and understanding and having the intellectual light bulb go off that Jesus is Messiah does not necessarily mean that somebody has received Christ. And so that Hebrews 6, 4, where it says those who have been once enlightened does not necessarily mean that they were saved. By the way, that same fotidzo work, it's, it's in 2 Timothy 1.10. Uh, where it says, speaking of Christ, it says, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, brought to light. Again, the gospel brings enlightenment, but that does not always equal salvation to the ones who are being enlightened. So in Hebrews 6, 4, that phrase enlightened does not necessarily refer to save people because when it's used in other places in scripture, it clearly doesn't refer necessarily that everybody's enlightened is saved. What about um, the word tasted? Uh, Hebrews 6, 4, tasted the heavenly gift. Hebrews 6, 5, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. That Man, that sounds like save folk. Because if they tasted the heavenly gift and they tasted the good word of God and tasted the powers of the age to come, that must mean they're saved. But guys, again, we have to study scripture. You can't just, when, it, when you've got a doctrine that is this debated and intricate, you can't just do a superficial reading and draw your conclusion because this is important, man. This is literally determining a major doctrine. So we have to teach what the Bible is saying. We have to look at the words that the Holy Spirit inspired. And the word tasted in the Greek can, is a Greek word that means anything between just taking a taste or all the way to full swallowing. And you have to let the context determine whether it's just taking a taste of something or full swallowing. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 27, 34, where Jesus is hanging on the cross, the Bible says they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Do you follow me there? 
He tasted it on his tongue, but he spit it out. He would not swallow what he tasted. And so clearly in scripture, there are moments where you can taste something, but not fully ingest it. You can taste it, but not fully receive it. Jesus himself tasted the wine mixed mixed with gall when he was on the cross, but he refused to swallow it. And so when we're looking at tasted the heavenly gift, it doesn't mean that they necessarily took it all in. They tasted the good word of God. That means they heard it, but they didn't necessarily fully receive it. They tasted the powers of the age to come. That means they experienced them being in the presence of spiritual power, kingdom power. They experienced it, but it doesn't mean that they received it. It just means that there was some level of experiencing it, but it does not indicate that they fully received it. So guys, this this is just important to me because if we, if we, if we just take Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and we ignore all the other scriptures that I've gone through for the last four podcasts, so two hours worth of teaching of just Bible, 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 and people just seize on Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and they say, aha, there it is, and they don't ever bother to explain all these other passages that I've been giving, and then they won't take the time to go verse by verse, even word by word through Hebrews 6 and say, what is this actually saying? It is not indicating of necessity that these people fully embraced what they were experiencing with their ears, with their eyes, with their senses. It doesn't mean that they said a full yes to it. It just means they had opportunity to because they're tasting it. They're seeing it. They're hearing it. Then it says they've shared in the Holy Spirit. Now, if there's a phrase in this passage that might trouble people, it's this one. What does it mean to share or partake in the Holy Spirit? Uh, This is the Greek word metekos. And the definition is that um, it is to associate in a common interest, to receive a share of something. The same words used in Hebrews 3.14 that says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, that's another verse, by the way, that people used to say, aha, if we don't hold on to the end, we will not come to share in Christ. No, it's actually, this is, a, <laughs> I'm going to teach you right here. This is some seminary stuff, but you have to think on this level to properly understand this passage. Um, it's, it's the difference between a, pres- a prescriptive passage or a descriptive passage. What, what do I mean by that? Is this passage of scripture prescribing to us what we must do to be saved? Or is this passage of scripture describing what will actually be the case with those who are saved? Let me say that again. It's a prescriptive or a descriptive issue. A prescriptive passage is a passage of scripture prescribing, telling us what we must do. And in this case, it would be, if you believe that this is prescriptive, it would be prescribing to you what you must do to be saved. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It would say the prescription, the instruction is hold your original confidence firm to the end so that you can be saved. Or is it, as I believe, descriptive? And it's describing what it will actually be the case for those who are saved. So in other words, we have come to share in Christ. The evidence of that is our holding our original confidence firm to the end. So the evidence that we have a share in Christ is that we will maintain that faith until the end, regardless of what it costs us. So we've shared in the Holy Spirit. Again, 
That just means we have we have tasted on some level, we have experienced on some level, we have said yes on some level to the common interest of those who are in the Holy Spirit, of those who are in the church. We've re- we've experienced or received a share of something, but it does not necessarily mean that there has been a fully born again experience. It sounds like it on the surface level, but you have to look at the context. And so let me let me give you some other places that that unpack the same idea. Just give me a little bit of extra time today. This is important and I don't want to rush it and I, I want to get this in this one podcast. So buckle up, press pause, do whatever you got to do, but but let's finish this in this podcast episode today. Who are these people then? So who are the people that have tasted of the heavenly gift? Who are the people that have shared um, in the in the Holy Spirit, who are the people that in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, they've been enlightened. They've tasted the goodness of the word. They've tasted the powers of the age to come. But then clearly in verse 6, it says, but then they fall away. So these are people that have experienced on some level a taste of what it means to be born again, to be in the church. They connected on some level to the church, but clearly they have never fully given themselves to Christ. And so as I've gone and shown you, these words can, they're words by degrees. So a taste can mean full swallowing. But as in Matthew 27 that I said, a taste can also mean you put something in your mouth, you reject it just like Jesus did the wine. So you've tasted it, but you spit it out. And so, guys, that's extremely important. Context determines clarity. What about Matthew 13? Let's use Matthew 13 as a further biblical illustration of what I'm teaching here. Do you remember the parable of the sower in Matthew 13? Jesus is giving the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, and you've got four different types of, types of soils representing four different responses to the gospel. Now, the seed is the same in every soil. The seed is the gospel. But one soil represents the heart that is never penetrated at all by the gospel. The second soil represents the person who initially responds favorably to the gospel. And this person believes it on some level, but it actually never roots down. Uh, They never root down in the gospel and therefore... That, that soil is not representative of a truly converted soul. Um, listen, the second type of person after experiencing trouble or, um, I don't know, persecution, this person walks away from what they had originally been enlightened to. Remember, it says it. Jesus says this person responded favorably to the gospel, but then walks away. Then you've got the third type of person. They've also been enlightened. They've also expressed some belief in the gospel, yet this person also walks away. And on that third soil, it represents the person that walks away because they love the world and they loved its riches more than they love the riches of the gospel. Now, guys, you've got these two soils. The first soil is obvious. You've got four soils, by the way. Jesus mentions, of course, a fourth soil that receives the seed, brings forth abundance fruit. That's the only one of the four soils that represents a truly converted person. 
So you got one that just flatly rejects the gospel. We're not even talking about those people right now because it's clearly if you flatly reject the gospel, you're not saved. So we're taking them off the table. That's that's too clear for us to waste any time on. And for the sake of our purpose today, the fourth soil is those who receive the gospel and they root down and they bear fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. That's truly converted people. So we're not talking about them today either. We're talking about these two other soils. And both of these other soils, two out of the four, expressed an interest in the gospel. They said yes. They said yes. They had some level of belief in the gospel. But then they turned away. They turned away. So the reality is, is that Jesus said, yeah, that was actually never a saved person because the end thereof is death. And he gives you what a saved person is. A saved person is a person that receives, roots down, and bears fruit. An unsaved person is a person who flatly rejects the gospel. But then you have these two middle ground ones that show some interest. That's Hebrews 6. That's those who have tasted. That's those who have experienced. That's those who have um, seen the powers of the age to come. They have said yes on some level, but they're not fully given to the Lord. And the warning of Hebrews 6 is if you do not press in, you're going to give evidence. If you don't press on to full maturity, if you don't root down, if you don't bear fruit, it is evidence that you've never been planted by God. So that is the warning in Hebrews 6. It is actually a call to examine where you are. It's a calling on some people who are in the process of walking away. They've been enlightened. They've tasted. They've seen. They've experienced. They've heard. But some of them are turning back to Judaism. He says, no, we got to leave those things. we got to press on to Jesus. And so um, Matthew 13 is a, a great teaching of Jesus that undergirds what we're saying here about Hebrews 6. So what do we do with the purpose for these warnings like Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 in scripture? Let me tell you what happens. I'm going to wrap up here. Let me tell you what happens. These warning passages are in the Bible and they do two things. These commands or warnings, like in Hebrews 6, it provokes the flesh of the unregenerate, while at the same time, it activates the faith of those who are truly regenerate. Let me say that again. There is something within the warning passages that when they're given and they're heard by born-again people, it actually facilitates the desire and the ability to follow through in those commands or to acknowledge those warnings. For those who are not regenerate, but they've been around the things of Christianity, they've been, they've been as I've mentioned multiple times in this podcast, they've seen, they've heard, they've tasted, they've experienced on some level, those warnings are given to them so that they're without excuse if they continue to walk away. They're without excuse. It means they didn't walk through the door. They got up to the door. They were standing in front of the door. The door to full salvation was open. They had to cross the threshold and enter in, but they stopped. And as they're stopped, they're lingering at the door. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to come all the way through. 
You need to come all the way through. Don't just wait there. But they're waiting there, and he's warning them, you've come this far, you've tasted, you've seen, you've experienced, but you need to fully surrender. You're looking back towards Judaism. Don't do that. There's nothing there for you. And that warning for those who choose to go back to Judaism, in the case of Hebrews 6, the warning leaves them without any excuse. And if they do that, the Bible says, if at that highest level of conviction about needing to follow through with Jesus, if they reach that highest level of conviction, if they hear the warning to take that step through the door, and if they don't, this is the warning, it's impossible for you to ever be saved. That is the warning. The warning is, if you have gotten to this point, you have everything you need in order to make a full commitment to Jesus, and yet you are turning and walking back to your religion, back to Judaism, it will be impossible for you to ever be renewed to repentance. So it is a warning that you're going to lose salvation, but it's not losing salvation you had. It's losing the ability to ever be saved because if at the height of conviction where you've tasted and seen and experienced and heard and Jesus has been presented to you and you know what you need to do, but you choose to harden your heart and walk away, that is the warning. The warning is if you do that, you will never, ever be able to repent because there is nothing more that can be offered to you. You're crucifying Jesus Christ to your self all over again. You're rejecting him all over again. And there comes that judicial hardening of the heart and you will never be saved. That is what Hebrews 6 teaches. So as I close, let me just say this. The command to press on, the command to endure in Hebrews 6 is the actual spiritual mechanism that releases the inherent obedience in all born-again people to press on and endure. So you can't obey the command to endure without the power already within you to obey the command. And so the command actually generates within regenerate people the obedience that authenticates genuine salvation. Genuine salvation, hear me on this as I close out this series on who can fall away, who can't fall away, and can a believer lose their salvation? The answer is no, 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 because salvation is of the Lord, and God initiates the salvation. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the power to initiate our faith and the power to conclude our faith, and what do we do? We abide, we trust, we press on, and hallelujah. Embedded within every genuine born-again experience is the ability to endure unto the end. Anybody that is attached to the things of Christianity, looks like a Christian, sounds like a Christian, talks like a Christian, even serves like a Christian or gives like a Christian for however long they do it. But if in the end they turn away, that is the evidence, the descriptive evidence that they were truly never is to begin with. They had an appearance of godliness, but they had denied the power thereof. That is the teaching of all of the scripture, and that is the explanation of the context that we must read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 in. 
Man, that was a mouthful today. I took an extra 10 minutes. I hope it was worth your time. It was certainly worth mine. We will pick back up next week with a brand new look at some things and don't know exactly what the podcast is going to be for the next several weeks, but I hope that you'll go back and listen to these last five episodes over and over again and that you'll come to the conclusion that when God begins a good work in somebody, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Signing off from Mavericks and Misfits today. God bless you. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.